0: hey good morning everyone um i'm doing chapter four today on kingdom principles i'm um, we doing it a little early good morning good morning because uh i'm, I'm doing a conference call at two o'clock p.m um it's gonna be on relationships uh relationships as far as friendships around romance relationship just relationships period um, and it starts at 2 p.m. But in order to get in, into the conference, I need your email. So you have to send your email address to booksmootina at gmail.com. Booksmootina at com, And then I can give you your free access code and the free call number that you call in on. And then you can enter at 2 p.m. So I'm just inviting y'all in case y'all do hear this. Um... I love you guys. I hope you guys are having a great day. Uh, I'm about to get right into it. Chapter four of Kingdom Principles. (laughs) Give me one second.
1: concept of kings. In recent times, it has been a popular notion to celebrate the opposition against monarchies, and many have even suggested the eradication of the concept of monarchies from our so-called modern or postmodern world. Popular uprisings against the remaining monarchies in the name of the pursuit of democracy have become the craze of today's self-proclaimed freedom fighters. In some cases, it may be justifiable. In many of the instances cited, these kingdoms are filled with contradictions, abuse, oppression, social extremes, and dictatorial administrations. However, it must also be noted that many of the democracies in our world today are also plagued with the same defects and shortcomings. In essence, the problem is not the king, the kingdoms, or even the form of government, but the defects in the human nature that functions in any of these systems. Yet the kingdom concept is the only one presented, preached, promoted, taught, and established by Jesus Christ throughout his ministry. His proposed solution to mankind's problems on the earth is the establishment of the kingdom of heaven in the earth. As a matter of fact, the message of the Bible, and, more specifically, the focus of Jesus was not a religion, or, for that matter, any of the many subjects we have magnified, and many have preached as the gospel or good news to the world. For instance, Jesus never preached as a priority public message subjects like faith, prosperity, giving, deliverance, or even his death on the cross, or resurrection as the gospel. But he repeatedly promoted and declared the kingdom of God and heaven as his principal message. I am well aware that what I just said may be cause for much reaction, mental conflict, and religious resistance but I would encourage you to search and research the four Gospels for yourself and discover this surprising reality. Jesus also indicated that this message of the kingdom would be his disciples' message to their world. Jesus' message of the kingdom was foreshadowed in the Old Testament centuries before he was born in Bethlehem. Here are two examples. The first one indicates God's motivation for delivering the slave clans of Israel from Egyptian oppression. Now, Obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. In the second example, we see the Old Testament messianic promise declared by the prophet Isaiah strongly indicating the governmental aspects of the kingdom mandate. isaiah nine six and seven Jesus' message was clearly kingdom focused and not religiously motivated from that time on. Jesus began to preach, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near matthew four seventeen Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people matthew four twenty three Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Matthew 5, 3 and 4. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew five twenty. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, 9b through 10. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6.33 Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Matthew 9.35 As you go, preach this message, The kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 10.7 But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew 12:28 He replied The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them Matthew 13:11 When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart Matthew 13:19a Jesus told them another parable The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field Matthew 13:24 he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Matthew 13:31. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Matthew 13:33. The Kingdom of Heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field matthew thirteen forty four Again, the Kingdom of Heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it matthew thirteen forty five and forty six once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Matthew 13:47. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16:19. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Matthew 16:28. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18:3 and 4. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Matthew 18:23. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. Matthew 21, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Matthew 21, 31b, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Matthew 22, 2 and 3. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Matthew 23, 13. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, Luke 8, 1. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, Luke 9, 2. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of god and healed those who needed healing luke 9:10b through 11 i tell you the truth some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of god luke 9:27 do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom luke 12:32 and i confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me luke 22:29 Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. John 18:36. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. John 18:37. My purpose for listing all of these statements is to show and emphasize the preoccupation Jesus had with a kingdom concept rather than a religion. Note in particular the last statement above where Jesus declares himself a king and not a president or prime minister or mayor. This is why it is necessary and essential that we rediscover and desire to understand the kingdom as a concept and a reality. It is the foundation of God's plan for mankind. The original ideal kingdom concept is distinct from the earthly version, even though it contains many of the same components and concepts of all kingdoms. Despite the many failed kingdoms throughout history, the questions still arise. Why did God choose a kingdom and not a republic? Why did God choose a kingdom and not a democracy or socialism? What are the benefits of being in a kingdom over a democratic republic or a communist regime? Why is a kingdom better than a democracy or socialist form of government? Why is Jesus a king and not a president? What exactly is a kingdom? Very simply, a kingdom is the government of a king. More specifically, a kingdom is the sovereign rulership and governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his will, his intent, and his purpose, manifesting a culture and society reflecting the king's nature, values, and morals. A kingdom is the governing impact of a king's will over a territory or domain, his influence over a people, and a government led by a king. Therefore, the very heart of any kingdom is its king. This definition perfectly describes the relationship of God to the heavenly realm. Heaven exists because of the creative activity of God. Throughout its entire expanse, it is infused with his presence, character, and authority. There is no corner of heaven where his will is not accomplished. In every way, God is the unrivaled and unequaled king of heaven. The same was true in the natural realm when God extended his kingdom authority to the earth through the man and woman. When God extended his kingdom authority to the earth through the man and woman he created in his image and released to rule in his name. They rebelled against the king's authority, however, and lost their rulership. Control of the earthly realm then passed temporarily to a demonic usurper until the day in the king's sovereign plan when it would be restored to its rightful ruler. In the fullness of time, Jesus came to the earth and re-established the kingdom. Because only a king can establish a kingdom, this act alone reveals that Jesus Christ is the king. The Bible, the constitution of the kingdom of heaven, leaves no doubt as to the kingship of Jesus. Perhaps the clearest statement of all is found in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John, where Jesus, mere hours before his execution by crucifixion, has a revealing exchange with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the province of Judea. Falsely arrested, illegally tried, and wrongfully condemned for blasphemy by the Jewish religious authorities in Jerusalem, Jesus now stands before Pilate for judgment. Pilate has heard the accusation that Jesus claims to be a king, So the governor asks him directly, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. John eighteen thirty three B thirty six through thirty eight A. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world, and my kingdom is from another place, clearly implying that he was a king. He was speaking of the kingdom of heaven. Notice that Jesus said that his kingdom was not of or from this world. He never said that it was not in this world. His kingdom on earth originated in heaven. When Pilate pressed further, Jesus plainly said, I am a king. He then said, I came into the world to testify to the truth. What truth? The truth that he was a king with a kingdom. What could be clearer than that? Testify is a word often used to describe what a witness does in a courtroom, testifying or avowing to what he has seen or heard. The original Greek word employed here has an even deeper meaning. It is a word of experimentation from the laboratory and means to verify or validate. Essentially, Jesus said to Pilate, I came to earth because I am a king and I will prove it by putting it to the test. I testified to the truth that a king is here, a kingdom is here, and this kingdom is available to anyone who wants to come in. The last thing Jesus said to Pilate was, Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. A more accurate rendering would be, Everyone on the side of truth hears me. This is a very important point because it has to do with connecting to Jesus' message. Everywhere I go teaching the message of the kingdom, I find that it resonates with people from all religions and walks of life. God created us for kingship, for dominion, and inside each of us is a latent kingdom consciousness striving for expression. This consciousness reveals itself in various ways such as in our natural resistance to being ruled or controlled by any other person, and our continual longing to control the circumstances of our own lives. That is what finally connected me to Jesus, when I realized that he could teach me how to run life, not let life run me. I learned that I could control my own circumstances. The search for power is a natural human drive. We all seek power over things and over circumstances. That is what the kingdom of heaven promises. Jesus said, I will testify to the truth of the kingdom, and when you hear me, you will believe it. You will connect with what I have to say, because it will resonate with the kingdom consciousness that is already in you. We connect with the kingdom message because it addresses the most deep-seated longing of our heart, our longing to be kings. While it is natural to desire power over things and circumstances, Desiring power over people is another matter. Seeking to influence people, public opinion, and public policy through kingdom principles is always appropriate. But pursuing despotic power over other people for personal gain at their expense is a corruption of our natural quest for power. Desiring to control our own life is one thing. Desiring to control others' lives is another. The king is central to his kingdom. If we were created for kingship, and if Jesus came to earth to restore the kingship we lost, and if we want to be prepared to resume our rightful place as kings, then we had better learn what it means to be a king, and how a king relates to his kingdom. This is important both for teaching us how to think, speak, and behave like rulers, and for teaching us how to relate properly to God, our high king. A true king is not a dictator. The first thing we need to understand is that a king is the central component of his kingdom. A king embodies the essence of his kingdom. The kingdom is the king. Without the king, there is no kingdom. The land and the people may still be there, but unless they are ruled by a king, they are not in a kingdom. This is one primary distinction between a kingdom and a democratic state. In a democracy, the country's leader, whether called a president or a prime minister or whatever, is not the center of the government. The constitution is. Presidents and prime ministers change every few years, but the constitution provides continuity of law and government. In a kingdom, the king is the constitution. His word is the law. His word is the government. Second, a king is the ultimate and only source of authority in his kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, the authority of God, the king, is exclusive and absolute. His word is law, and his will is carried out even to the farthest reaches of his realm. And God's realm is infinite. The sole and absolute authority of the king is what distinguishes the kingdom of heaven from religion. Religious people give lip service to God's kingship, but then turn around and debate, question, and even amend his laws. For example... The king says that homosexual behavior is an abomination. See Leviticus 18.22. Yet a gathering of bishops who supposedly honor the king's law install an openly and actively homosexual priest as an archbishop. In the kingdom, the king's word is law. It is not open to debate, discussion, challenge, or amendment. While this may seem restrictive or even despotic to someone raised in a democratic environment, in many ways it actually relieves a lot of pressure. If you are under the king, and someone asks you, what do you think about so-and-so, you can defer to the king's authority. What I think does not matter. I am bound to follow my king, and my king says this, or I agree with my king, and this is what he says. In a democracy, political leaders campaign, negotiate, compromise, and consult committees in an effort to reach a consensus for establishing law and policy. In a kingdom, the king speaks, and that's it no debate or question. The authority of the king is like the slogan that began circulating years ago. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Even better is the variation, God said it, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. Jesus demonstrated this kingly authority when he said numerous times, you have heard, but I tell you. See Matthew 5, 21 and 22, 27 and 28, 33 and 34, 38 and 39, forty three and forty four emphasis added. The biblical account of this occasion records When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Matthew seven, twenty eight and twenty nine emphasis added. Jesus spoke and taught on his own authority. He did not rely on the thoughts, ideas, interpretations, or traditions of others. Why? Because he was a king whose authority was independent and sovereign. This leads to a third point to understand about a king. The sovereignty of a king is inherent in his royal authority. The people do not make a king sovereign. He is born sovereign. Jesus told Pilate that he was born a king. He did not receive his kingship or his sovereignty from the hand of men. Sovereignty means freedom from external control. As sovereign, a king is free to do as he pleases with no accountability to anyone else in the kingdom. Otherwise, a king has no true authority. No one has the authority to tell God what to do. God's sovereignty is absolute. He is completely self-determining. Fourteen Characteristics of a King A king is distinct both from a democratically elected leader, such as a president or prime minister, as well as from a dictator in a totalitarian state. Following are 14 characteristics of a king that clarify that distinction. 1. A king is never voted into power. His power is inherent from birth. Democratic leaders are elected to power. Totalitarian dictators seize power, but a king is born into power. 2. A king is king by birthright. His kingship is not conferred by men. Elected leaders rule by the will of the people. Dictators rule through fear, repression, and coercion. A king rules because he is born to it. Jesus Christ was born a king. We do not make him king. All we can do is acknowledge that he is king. A king cannot be voted out of power. Because the kingdom is his by birth, a king rules for life. A president is voted out of office or departs due to term limits. A dictator may be brought down by a coup d'etat or popular uprising. Kingship, however, is a lifelong office. A human king may be dethroned by force or revolution, but he can never be voted out. The king of heaven reigns by sovereign right of creation. He will never be voted out of power, nor will he ever be dethroned. Lucifer tried and failed. Human empires have tried and failed and then fallen themselves, as is the destiny of all regimes that challenge his sovereignty. He was king before this world began and he will still be king after it is passed away. In fact, Scripture makes this bold declaration. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Revelation 11.15b No act, either of man on earth or of the spiritual powers of darkness, will ever remove the king of heaven from his throne. 4. A king's authority is absolute. That is why he is not a president or a prime minister. Presidents must consult Congress and Prime Minister's Parliament. If the Prime Minister of the Bahamas makes a decision, the Senate can discuss it, the Parliament may attack it, the media may mutilate it, and he may change his mind. Dictators, on the other hand, while perhaps exercising absolute power for a time, possess no legitimate authority. This is why they must use force and repression to stay in power. But when a king speaks, he speaks with absolute authority authority that is inherent to his kingship. 5. A king's word is law. Because a king's authority is absolute, his word is law. No one can countermand his orders, negate his pronouncements, set aside his decrees, or amend his statutes. David, an Israelite king who loved the king of heaven with all his heart, had this to say about his king's law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 197 through 9 and 11. The king's word is law. Great reward follows obedience. Disobedience brings severe penalties. 6. A king personally owns everything in his domain. Presidents and other elected leaders do not own their countries. They are citizens like everyone else. Dictators often act as though they own everything, but whatever they possess they acquire by fraud, theft, and corruption. A king, on the other hand, personally owns everything in his domain. In fact, a kingdom is the only form of government where the ruler owns everything and everyone. In the words of King David once again, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 24.1 The king of heaven himself declares, Every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50.10 A king owns the people, the animals, the plants, the land, and the air around the land. He owns the value under the earth, the gold, the silver, the platinum, the diamonds, and so forth. He owns the soil and the seeds in the soil. A king owns everything in his territory. That is why he is called a lord. Lord means owner. We'll discuss more on this concept in the next chapter. 7. A king's decree is unchanging. In a democratic system, laws can be amended, revised, or revoked. Dictators change and even reverse their own decrees whenever it suits them. They renege on their word all the time. But a king's word is law. Once a king issues a decree, it cannot be changed. Daniel, a faithful, God-fearing Jew in exile, was a high official in the court of Darius, a Medo-Persian king. When Daniel's enemies plotted to destroy him, they persuaded Darius to issue a decree that for 30 days no prayers or petitions were to be raised to any god or anyone else except to the king himself. Violators would be thrown into a den of lions. This decree was a Law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Daniel 6.8b, NASB Catching Daniel in the act of praying to God in violation of the king's decree as they knew they would, Daniel's enemies took him to the king. Darius was trapped. Even he could not revoke his own decree. The king spent a tormented, sleepless night while his trusted servant Daniel cooled his heels in the lion's den. The Lord delivered Daniel safely, and his enemies ended up with the lions instead. The point here is that a king's decree once issued cannot be undone. The decrees of the king of heaven are just as permanent. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 40, 8. Jesus the king said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 24, 35. 8. A king chooses who will be a citizen. In a democracy, the citizens choose their leader, while a totalitarian system treats its citizens as little more than tools of the state. A kingdom operates in the opposite manner. The king chooses the citizens. Because his authority is absolute, he determines the standards of citizenship in his kingdom. The people do not vote for the king, but in essence, he votes for them. Jesus demonstrated this kingly prerogative as well when he said to his closest followers, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you john fifteen sixteen through nineteen Jesus chose them out of citizenship in the world and made them citizens of his kingdom with full benefits of citizenship. They no longer belong to the kingdom of the world. Now, like Jesus, their kingdom was from another place. Jesus does the same thing today for everyone who believes him, everyone who accepts his message of the kingdom. 9. A king embodies the government of his kingdom. This means that wherever a king is, his entire government is present. Whenever a king speaks, his whole government is speaking. Whenever a king moves... The government moves with him because he embodies the government. The king is the government. When President Bush travels abroad, the authority of the United States government travels with him because he represents the government and the people. The government itself, however, does not travel with him. It remains in place and functioning in Washington. The government of a king, on the other hand, is wherever the king is. A king and his government are inseparable. This is how we can know that the kingdom of heaven is on earth. The kingdom is here because the king is here. Jesus said, If two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Matthew eighteen nineteen through 20. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. The kingdom of heaven is here because the king of heaven is here in the hearts and lives of his citizens who populate his colony here. 10. A king's presence is the presence of his authority. When a king shows up, his full authority is present. His authority does not reside in a place or in a document. It resides in him personally. This is why citizens of God's kingdom colony on earth can act with kingly authority. Because the king is present, his authority is present also. It was this present authority that Jesus had in mind when he said, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, Matthew eighteen eighteen. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. John 14, 13 and 14. Kingdom citizens may always exercise kingly authority because the king is always present with them. 11. A king's wealth is measured by his property. The larger and richer in resources a kingdom is, the wealthier the king because the king owns everything in his kingdom. Dictators become wealthy by stealing from the people. Democratically elected leaders may or may not be personally wealthy, but they definitely do not own their country. This is one of the major distinctions between a king and other government leaders. Kings own everything in their domain by right of birth and kingship. As a matter of fact, property is so tied up with a king's identity that without it, a king is not a king. We will discuss this more thoroughly in Chapter 6. Why is wealth so important in a kingdom? So the king can take care of his citizens. A righteous and benevolent king does not amass wealth for himself, but for the welfare of his citizens. This is why it is only in a kingdom where we truly find commonwealth—that That is, the wealth is common to all the people. No kingdom is greater or richer than the kingdom of heaven because it encompasses all that exists. And no king is wealthier than the king of heaven, because he owns everything everywhere in both the natural and supernatural realms. Consequently, no citizens of any government are more prosperous or have greater welfare than do citizens of the kingdom of heaven, because all the infinite wealth of that kingdom is their common wealth. Twelve. A king's prosperity is measured by the status of his citizens. If the citizens are poor, the king is seen as a poor king. If the citizens are prosperous, however, the king is seen as a wealthy king. Wealthy citizens make a king proud. That is why it is important for a king to make sure his people prosper. Jesus never preached prosperity. Why not? Because prosperity is a matter of kingdom business. Anyone who becomes a citizen of the kingdom of heaven automatically prospers because the king of heaven is a wealthy king, the wealthiest of all. And he is also a righteous and benevolent king who is committed to the fullest and greatest welfare of his people. 13. A king's name is the essence of his authority. A king can delegate authority to anyone he pleases to act in his name or on his behalf. This is often done by issuing a king's letter, a royal edict signed by the king and bearing his official seal that authorizes the bearer to act on his authority. Anyone to whom the king's letter is presented must treat the bearer as if he were the king himself. Nehemiah, another exiled Jew who was a contemporary of Daniel, was cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. Hearing that Jerusalem had been destroyed, Nehemiah longed to go there and rebuild the city. When the king learned of Nehemiah's desire, he granted him permission to go. He also issued letters instructing the keeper of the king's forest to give Nehemiah all the material he required and for the governors of the various provinces to grant him safe passage. Nehemiah carried the king's name and therefore his authority. See Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven have the same privilege. Jesus the king has issued king's letters to all his people, delegating his authority to them. That is why the New Testament says that kingdom citizens are to pray in the name of Jesus. It is why he promised to do anything that they asked in his name. There is nothing religious or mysterious about this. It is simply a kingdom principle at work. The king's name carries the same authority as the king himself, and all who carry his name can operate in his authority. 14. A king's citizenry represents his glory. Any conscientious king wants his citizens to be happy prosperous and content, because their status and quality of life reflect on him. The greater their prosperity and well-being, the greater the glory and honor that rest on the king who provides for them so well. Citizens of God's kingdom are supposed to show what their king is like by the way they live, act, dress, walk, and talk. Kingdom citizens are to reflect the nature and character of their king, who is righteous, just, benevolent, compassionate, and full of glory. This is why there is no poverty in the kingdom of heaven, no economic crisis, and no shortages. As King David observed, The Lord upholds the righteous. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Psalm 3717 b and 25. The king of heaven takes care of his citizens. Appropriating the riches of the kingdom of heaven means, first of all, understanding that the king owns everything, and we own nothing. And second, that he can give whatever he wants to anyone he wants, whenever he wants. This is the kingdom concept of lordship, and is the subject of the next chapter. Principles 1. A kingdom is the sovereign rulership and governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his will, his intent, and his purpose. 2. In the fullness of time, Jesus came to the earth and re-established the kingdom. Because only a king can establish a kingdom, this act alone reveals that Jesus Christ is the king. 3. Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. He never said that it was not in this world. 4. Inside each of us is a latent kingdom consciousness striving for expression. 5. We all seek power over things and over circumstances, and that is what the kingdom of heaven promises. 6. A king is the central component of his kingdom. 7. A king is the ultimate and only source of authority in his kingdom. 8. The sovereignty of a king is inherent in his royal authority. 9. God's sovereignty is absolute. He is completely self-determining.
0: all right y'all that was chapter four i hope you guys enjoyed chapter four um if i haven't if you haven't heard already i'm gonna tell you anyway um i have a youtube channel it's tina smooth if you would like to join my youtube channel you can like comment subscribe hit that notification bell so you can know when i go live i am a life coach a mentor and a motivational speaker Um, I'm glad you all are enjoying this book. I see people are reading from my analytics. Um, before I get off, I want to encourage y'all. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know how to enter the kingdom of God, the first step is first believing that Jesus is the son of son of God. No man comes to the father, except through the sack, except through the son. Second, you have to believe that he died on the cross for your sins, which he did. He died for you. He died for me. He died for the world. Third, you had to ask them to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and to save you. Come into your heart and to save you. And if you did that, you are on the winning team. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're still on the fence, just keep coming, reading these books with me. Go to my YouTube channel. Um, I'm starting doing conference calls. I'm going to do them every Tuesday. But you have to send your email address to Book Tina at gmail.com so you can get the access code and the call-in number and it's all free free of charge i love you guys you guys have a great tuesday